Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Thursday, November 12th. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Ben, we are into the thick of the MLB offseason, as it were, in the Blue Jays. I mean, they're in the middle of the hot stove. They're in the stove or they're on the I don't know. Is the stove hot because like you're cooking in it or you're cooking on it? I Nobody ever explained that to me. But wherever the cooking is transpiring, like the Blue Jays are right there getting heated up. I think the hot stove analogy is um, traces back to like baseball fans in the winter, basically killing time before spring training by gathering around a hot stove oh. and then making essentially like trade proposals, you know, like I'll trade you Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams or that kind of thing and making right. up these. I think I think that's what it is. I don't think it's actually so much a cooking analogy as it is a staying warm one. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the Blue Jays are there and they're in the center of it. Uh, and it feels like a, a bit more real than maybe, um, you know, because like it feels like every year, right? Like the, the Blue Jays name gets kind of thrown about for various players and various proposals, um, particularly under this regime of Blue Jays management because they just check in on everybody and because they make a lot of calls and they throw a lot of stuff around. So they end up in rumors quite a bit. But like when you sort of read between the lines, read the subtext of the rhetoric that we hear from Ross Atkins and, and Mark Shapiro, you know, they're not doing anything to tamp down the speculation or to suggest like, yeah, you know, it might not be as active as people believe. Like they are suggesting uh, rather forwardly that they are going to be active and that they are going to do quite a bit this offseason and they are looking to add somewhat substantially to the roster. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you hear Ross Atkins saying that he's looking to add quality as opposed to just quantity. And so that's a difference compared to what we might have heard a couple of years ago when the Blue Jays were more in a rebuilding mode and less inclined to go after those top tier players, whether it's in trade or in free agency. So at this point in time, the Jays have the makings of a good team. I think certainly on the lineup side, they are pretty set. They could enter the 2021 season without making big additions and they'd be fine. I still think on the pitching side, like Ross Atkins was saying that he thinks they could cover the innings for the coming season, even if they don't make necessarily big additions from here on. I'm not totally sold on that. I think if Robbie Ray is your only addition to this pitching staff that you know was one of the easiest to score off of in baseball in 2020, I don't think that's enough. And I don't think it will be enough. I think that Blue Jays will continue to add. But like you say, there's some interesting conversations happening even at the top of the market. And so as far as this offseason, Robbie Ray is one thing that has happened that is real. So we, we should talk about that because that has actually happened. He's actually going to be a 2021 Toronto Blue Jay. Uh, he sends a one-year, $8 million deal pretty early in the offseason. You know, we're talking about things that you know we've heard from the Blue Jays front office. And quite clearly, they said, look, where we need to improve this offseason is in our run prevention. That's in our defense. That's in our strike throwing. Well, Robbie Ray and strike throwing have not necessarily been bedmates over the, yeah. the basically his entire career, but particularly this past season. So, you know, Ben, how do you sort of square up the inherent dissonance between saying that you, you want to improve your strike throwing and then signing the MLB leader in walks? Yeah, I don't know that there is an easy way to really square that one. I think it's just they're going to have to improve their strike throwing with subsequent pitching additions. I mean, that's, it's just, it doesn't make sense. You know, like you can't, you can't point to Robbie Ray as, Hey, like we're now we're better at throwing strikes. He's good at many things. As Ross Atkins said, you know, he's got a great slider. He's got some power to his fastball. He has had some really good seasons in the major leagues with Arizona. So this guy 
has major league experience of really having successful seasons. Those are attributes that the, and, and experiences that the Blue Jays really like, and rightfully so. And I think that he makes sense as a one-year pickup for this team. It's a good pickup. It is not one that helps them with the strike throwing. I think that that will have to come from future additions to this staff. And to that end, like I think this is as much of a bet on the Blue Jays coaching staff and their their support staff than it is on Robbie Ray. Like not to sell Robbie Ray, Ray short, like he's a fine MLB starter, but I think this is as much of a bet on Pete Walker and Matt Bushman and Blue Jays pitching development folks being able to help them get back on track, being able to help uh, Robbie Ray be more like the 2017 Robbie Ray, which is kind of like peak. Robbie Ray, or at least like more like, you know, 2018 or 2019, yeah. you know, and like I've said it before, like we really don't give Pete Walker and Matt Bushman and and, and Blue Jays pitching folks enough credit for, you know, what they do with, with some of these guys who, who come into the organization somewhat unheralded or sort of off the radar, um, you know, come in as, you know, kind of quote unquote reclamation projects and, and then end up having fine seasons and having really good results. And, you know, look, Robbie Ray still wasn't throwing enough strikes with the Blue Jays late in the season and that handful of starts that he had, but he was better than he was in Arizona. Like he did lower his walk rate and it would be pretty hard for him not to because it was super high with Arizona earlier in the year. But, you know, you can point to some very demonstrable changes that he made when you look at his mechanics and you look at his his arm slot and his pitching motion. You know, I, I wrote about it extensively during the season and you can go look that up. Like I I showed you the the screen grabs and the gifts of like how he looked, you know, a year ago with Arizona to how he looked at the beginning of the 2020 season with Arizona to how he looked with the Blue Jays. And it was very different. Like these are real big mechanical changes that he was making. And you know, when when you're going through like you can make a very slight tweak to your delivery just as a pitcher in general that can mess you up let alone overhauling the entire thing (laughs) and making everything entirely different so like it's not hard to see why Robbie Ray was struggling when he is going through such dramatic changes to just the way that he throws the ball and so I think that with the benefit of some time away from just day-to-day competition and having to be on a mound every five to six days to really work on where he's trying to get with his pitching motion and with his mechanics and to try to build on some of the progress that he made over, I guess it was only about four starts at the Blue Jays at the end of the year, just to try to build on some of that progress that he made with with Walker and Bushman and, and try to, you know, get back to himself and be in the zone more consistently. Like I do think there is reason to be optimistic and reason to be encouraged that Robbie Ray can, you know, be much better in, in 2021 than he was in 2020. Absolutely. And I think you know, when you're looking at a pitcher with this kind of major league track record, that's a really good sign. And it gives the Blue Jays something to build off of, gives Ray something to build off of. And maybe it won't work out. I mean, there are a lot of one-year deals that don't work out. Jaime Garcia being a recent example for the Toronto Blue Jays. And that's okay, ultimately. The Blue Jays aren't pinning their hopes on Robbie Ray. Chase Anderson, not that that was a free agent contract, but that's another pickup. One year, didn't work out. That's okay. Like, that's not going to sink the franchise financially, short-term or long-term, you give these guys shots, there definitely will be an appetite and a need for the innings that a pitcher like Ray can provide. So I I think you take your shots and some of these opportunities are going to work out. Maybe Robbie Ray will be one of them and he can kind of continue that progress that he started with Pete Walker and Matt Bushman. And even if not, you know, arguably, you know, could they have gotten them for $6 in January? Maybe. 
I mean, you never know how these things play out, but it's also not easy to sign free agent pitchers to play in Toronto and the AL East on a one-year deal. So I, I think to get him on a one-year $8 million contract is totally reasonable and you see what happens. Uh, let me loop back to that dollar figure and just say like, you know, this is, he's kind of the ultimate project, right? Because if you can get Robbie Ray in the zone, like he can be elite because this stuff is off the charts. You know, like you look at like any of the sort of advanced metrics that we use to like judge actual like pitches and their effectiveness and to measure the quality of guys stuff these days and Ray's stuff like breaks those metrics, right? The problem is he's just not in the zone enough. Like, and you know, particularly with, with his breaking stuff, I feel like, you know, he wasn't throwing that consistently enough for strikes and too often hitters, you know, were able to sort of eliminate his slider and curveball when they're at the plate and just say, look, if it's spinning, like I'm not swinging because they're so seldom in the zone and then they could just hunt his fastball and his fastball is still a really good pitch, but like these are major league hitters. They can get around on, on 97 on the plate. But if Robbie Ray can just be in the zone a bit more consistently with his breaking stuff, like it doesn't have to, he doesn't have to all of a sudden go to like a Hunjin Ryu level of command. Like if he can just be in the zone a bit more often, it can work, you know, like he's, he's always going to be somewhat effectively wild, but like you look at some of the best pitchers in baseball, not all of them are, you know, pounding the zone as much as you might think. Shane Bieber just won a Cy Young award. He had the lowest zone percentage among qualified pitchers in the AL this year. He worked out of the zone plenty. And you can look at lots of other guys like Dallas Keuchel, um, also up there in the Cy Young voting. Kenta Maeda, another one. Zach Greinke. Yeah, these are guys who are all you know working outside the zone, getting swing and miss, getting chase. It's not like you have to have this really dramatic increase in his zone percentage in order for him to be effective. And, yeah. and don't forget, like remember that wildcard game, like Robbie Ray was dominant. You look at those three innings. Like that is him like at his best. Like, yeah, like a Rosarina gets a you know a triple off a pitch outside the zone, scores on a wild pitch, but no one else touched him in that wild card game coming in after uh Matt Shoemakers. I just think that the you know there's reason to be encouraged. But so to get back to what you're saying, like you're right, the Blue Jays did pay a bit of a premium, I would say, like eight million dollars one year on Robbie Ray. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe it would have been less for for another club but you know the Blue Jays made this move quickly which indicates something and the Blue Jays have some money to spend this winter so like I don't think that these eight million dollars are going to preclude them from doing anything else like I fully expect they're still going to sign another starting pitcher in this market and Robbie Ray having played with the Blue Jays in Buffalo over that final month of the season also I think helped in that he knew the situation. So with the uncertainty over where they're, you know, the Blue Jays are going to play their games in 2021, like Robbie Ray had already kind of seen what it would be like if the Blue Jays aren't in Toronto. He already knew it. So I think that also removed kind of that, that layer of uncertainty for him. That makes sense for sure. And I think when you're, you know, talking about guys in the zone, I think it's a good point, right? Because there's a difference between throwing strikes and throwing pitches in the zone. Because a lot of the time for pitchers with really nasty breaking balls, they're going to throw pitches that are not in the zone that are strikes because batters swing and miss at them or foul them off or even make contact with them. And it's going to be weak contact or, you know, roll it over to second base, for example. So that's the kind of swings that Robbie Ray can induce when he's at his best. You're obviously walking a fine line because even if you go a few inches, you know, further below the zone with those breaking pitches, you're not going to induce those swings. Major league hitters are too good too disciplined so 
it's that line that Robbie Ray's walking. And, um, it, you know, I think that he'll be in that rotation. But as you were saying, I do think they're going to continue adding to that starting group. Do you think that this cut off any avenues for the Blue Jays this offseason? Like, do you, how do you think this sort of impacts their plan going forward and what they're kind of able to do over the next several months? Yeah, I, I don't think it does at all. I think that when you're looking at the possibility of bigger moves for this team, you know, whether it's Springer, LeMahieu, Lindor, Bauer, you know, those are some of the big names that obviously are circulating around the Toronto Blue Jays right now. And at a certain point, like if you're trading for, let's say Francisco Lindor, that's probably your one big trade of the offseason, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you're not going to go and then make a second big trade. Same with George Springer. If you're signing George Springer, are you also signing Trevor Bauer? I don't think so. So there are situations, there are moves that create a path ahead for the Blue Jays. And at that point, you've kind of chosen your course. But I don't think this is one of them at all. I think that they're going to be able to add even more pitching. Let's say it's, you know, for argument's sake, Jake Odorizzi, Taiwan Walker. If they were to add a pitcher like that, I don't even think that would cut them off. I think they still have a lot of room and a lot of flexibility to do different things. Yeah, and that's what's sort of interesting about this Blue Jays offseason is that there are a lot of different directions they can go in. And they do have like just a lot of options for how they sort of build this thing. And like in the second half of, this, of the podcast, like you and I want to talk a bit about the process for how the Blue Jays actually go through their offseason and, and adding and improving their roster. Because it is like a little bit different than maybe, you know, the the traditional sense of how people think teams approach off seasons but like when you look at the blue jays situation even you know adding an eight million dollar salary in robbie ray they still have a ton of financial flexibility like if the season started tomorrow their payroll for 2021 would be far below what it was in 2020 so that tells you that like there's still a bunch of money there to spend assuming payroll stays level if not increasing a little bit we haven't been given any indication the payroll is going to decrease going into 2021 and if it did it would be a massive topic and we'd be having a very serious conversation about it there's really no reason to believe that so the blue jays have still a, a bunch of payroll room to move in they have a lot of flexibility with the players that are on this roster right now to fill different roles which i think also opens up a lot so you talked about lindor right and it's like well the blue jays already have a really good shortstop in boba why would they acquire another one in francisco lindor because boba can play other positions you know and kevin biggio can play a, a bunch of different positions and lourdes Goriel jr could play a bunch of different positions they have a lot of flexibility on their roster right now you know they aren't closed off from pursuing a shortstop or pursuing any position really on the diamond then the other thing they have and you were mentioning trades is a ton of prospect capital that they can use in those trades. So they're really positioned well to outbid other clubs for, you know, a player they really like if they really want to go that extra mile and get, you know, a, a guy that they really want to add to this organization. So when you have that that money and that roster flexibility and that capital that you can use and trade, it just opens up so many avenues for you and gives you so many directions that you can go in as the Blue Jays this year. And I'm not sure there is one path there like this is the path and this is the one we are taking. I think they're sort of staying nimble and staying opportunistic depending on what comes up. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, part of it too is they have a lot of needs or a lot of potential needs, right? Yeah, when you think too. about, you know, <laughs> this team and most teams, even even the best teams in baseball, like the Dodgers are seeing Justin Turner and Blake Trinan and, 
Jock Peterson have free agency. So a lot of teams have have ways to improve, but the Blue Jays have a lot of ways to improve. When you think about pitching, they can improve their defense, they can improve their hitting, they have versatile players like Kevin Biggio who can move around. And the Bichette thing is interesting too, because Bichette hasn't had to be a versatile player in the major leagues because he has played shortstop when he's been active, but he could play second or third if they needed him to. And so that's an option that they have. And is kind of counterintuitive as it is for the Blue Jays to consider adding shortstops. I still think that there is some logic to it, just in the sense that, okay, offensively, it's obviously no problem because if you have good hitters, then they're just in your lineup and you're good to go. And then defensively, let's say they were to acquire Lindor because that's a possibility and one that we're assuming the Blue Jays are exploring. So if they were to acquire Lindor, Lindor plays short in that situation. He's a great defender, more experienced, potentially on a Hall of Fame path. He's the shortstop in that scenario. But then you still have Bo Bichette, who has a good arm, who has good footwork, who has good instincts. That skill set plays anywhere. I mean, it's, it's really versatile. It's not like you just have to play him at shortstop. And with all the shifting that happens now too, you know, positions are a little less fixed or a lot less fixed than they would have been even 10 years ago. Yeah, what is the position anymore, really? And it's not a problem to have too many solid MLB hitters with the athleticism to defend capably. <laughs> like, right. it's it's not like you're layering first baseman on first baseman, right? It's not like you like you already have like Prince Fielder and Albert Pujols, and you're gonna go out and get Jose Abreu or something. Like, yeah. you're just like you are adding like athletes and like dudes who can get by a number of positions. Like, it's really not. An issue like even if the blue jays wanted to go out and get another outfielder right now like i think you could add george springer to the blue jays current like outfield crew and be fine without subtracting from it yeah and even like you think about shortstops like one of their traits is they all throw right-handed right because there's a limit to the number of left-handed throwers you can have on your team you yeah. can only have four because first base and outfield are the only positions where you can have a left-handed thrower so but with shortstop they all throw right-handed so you can put them <laughs> anywhere you're set yeah. like there's zero issue to find a spot for these guys and when it comes to, you know, Lindor in particular, what we know from the Blue Jays' perspective, A, what we know is they can make it happen, right? There's no barrier financially. Like, they could take on his arbitration salary of around $20 million. They could, you know, absolutely extend him because the, the payroll is, you know, there's not a ton of financial commitment in, in the coming seasons. So there's no barriers there. There's no barrier in terms of like the capital that it would take to acquire him. Like the Blue Jays have the pieces easily to uh, make like a very attractive trade offer to to Cleveland. And as we were just talking about, there's no barrier in the construction of the current roster. You know, it's not like they already have like a Corey Seager or somebody like, you know, Francisco Lindor would immediately become, you know, the best shortstop on this roster. And you would find somewhere for Boba Shutt to play. And also, importantly, like the Blue Jays, explored with Bobichette moving off the position last offseason when they were talking to Didi Gregorius. So, yeah, and, and Bo has expressed to them that, like, sure, he would be disappointed. And I, like, absolutely, knowing Bo's competitiveness and just knowing, like, how he believes in, in himself and the progress he's made at shortstop throughout his young career and how, like, proud he's been of that, he would absolutely be disappointed. But he wants to win, too, right? Like, he wants to win a World Series. Like, he, he's not, he thought the Blue Jays were going to do a lot better this you know, season than anybody else thought they were going to. He ended up actually kind of like being right in the Blue Jays reaching the playoffs in a year when few projected them to. So he wants to win. So he is willing to move off of the position if it is like a premium talent like Lindor. So everything lines up for the Blue Jays to make this happen. 
it just comes down to what is the acquisition cost? And to me, can the Blue Jays extend him? Because I don't know if you differ here, Ben, but I, I don't think it makes that much sense to acquire Francisco Lindor if it's just going to be for this final year of arbitration and then you're going to go see, you know, see him go somewhere else after 2021 as a free agent. At that point, you're just better off either getting by with what you have or you sign Colton Wong or Andrelton Simmons and that's your infielder. It's not as high upside as Lindor, but you're also not giving up the farm for one year of a guy. I mean, you, I think you would have to have some real assurances, whether that's through a extension window, whether that's just knowing Lindor from his time in Cleveland when Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins overlapped with him. You'd need to know that you're going to have that opportunity to extend him. And of course, the commitment from ownership to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a player who then would become the face of the franchise. So I think all that has to happen because otherwise, I mean, the, the prospect capital that it would require to get Lindor would be pretty substantial. Right. So let, so extending him, there's very good reason to believe that like that would be possible because, you know, Mark Shapiro has indicated that like he has, you know, with the like, ownership has given him, you know, the resources to be aggressive. And we know that Blue Jays front office really likes Lindor and he's at a good point in his career to be extended. Lindor obviously knows Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins from his time with Cleveland. Um, you know, and the Blue Jays are a team like on the upswing and that looks like they're going to be competitive for the next few seasons. So like there's every reason there on both sides to get an extension done. So like I don't really have a lot of doubt about that being possible. So then let's, let's take a look at the acquisition cost. Yeah. Um, so you, you think it would be substantial. My question is what is Cleveland's leverage in this? Because you think about it, the entire world knows that they're trading him this offseason or at the, at the very latest at the trade deadline. So just wouldn't I think it's this winter. Right. So yeah. it just yeah, it wouldn't doesn't make a lot of sense to, you know, there's no chance of an extension here for him in Cleveland, as far as we know. No, no, no. Like definitely not. I've heard like rumblings that Cleveland's financial situation is like really bad. Right. Yeah. And the financial situations of a number of clubs in MLB is pretty bad. You know, in this post pandemic or not post, like current in the pandemic world, there are relatively few teams that would be able to take on even his arbitration salary this upcoming season, like to add $20, $21 million to, to payroll. And then let alone like what it would cost to extend them. Like at the best of times, there are not that many teams that, you know, are footing that bill willingly. They all could, right? Like all MLB teams make a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but like that are willing to fit that bill. But now after this season where you had a lot of austerity in terms of gate revenue, there's I think there would be a smaller group of teams that would be sort of shopping in that aisle. And then you mentioned it, teams have viable alternatives to Lindor if the acquisition cost is too high they can wait until next off season when you know you've got guys like Correa and Baez and Seager and Trevor Story hitting the market and sure some All of those guys right some of those guys might get extended with their current teams but like there's a you know at least two or three of them are likely to hit the market so you've got alternatives that are going to hit the market next off season which might even include Lindor as well and you have plenty of capable stop gaps available this off season to paper over to then like Simmons, like Didi Gregorius, like Marcus Simeon. So like what, what kind of a position is Cleveland really in right now from a negotiating standpoint? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's not, it's not ideal, right? Like they would definitely be in a stronger position if everyone in the industry thought that 
they could extend him if they you know were a team in a better financial spot that would strengthen their position for sure i still think as long as there are enough teams in as long as they have three or four teams that are serious about lindor then i think they'll be in a good spot because the demand will be there for a guy who's he turns 27 this weekend so he's he just finished his age 26 season really young great defensive player great offensive player you know marketable for to the extent that that matters but really uh just a great player so if the mets let's say and the giants and the angels and two of those teams by the way as we record this have not yet finalized their gms so the angels still seeking a gm perry manazian former blue jays exec said to be the front runner according to ken rosenthal for that job but has not been hired as we record this and the mets don't have a gm they have sandy alderson their team president in place and he has said that he's going to hire a general manager but that hasn't happened either. So you have two of the teams that at least, you know, from afar could be among the more aggressive suitors and they haven't even hired GM figures yet, which leads me to believe that this process is going to take a long time, first of all. But as for the question of leverage, I think as long as you have Mets, Giants, Angels, maybe the White Sox, Blue Jays involved, then I think if you have three to five teams that are serious about Lindor, then I think Cleveland will be in a good spot. Do you think that the bet steal, which gets compared to you know what the what Cleveland could be looking for Lindor often? Do you think that that's a fair comparison? Just considering, look, Boston, like they had the money to extend Mookie Betts, right? Yeah. Whereas you know, Cleveland might be in dire straits financially right now. Like that is not the case for the Boston Red Sox. That's also, I would say, a far better player. Like both of them are in the elite, you know, tier of MLB athletes and MLB players. But I think you know that's would be above Lindor in those rankings like do you think that Cleveland can fairly expect to get the same level of return for bets or do they have to set their sights a little bit lower I think it's simultaneously the best comp that we're going to get and not really totally satisfying as a comparison and you know because of how recent it was uh, because they're both great players with one year of control remaining I think that does make it a pretty good comparison or at least a reference point. But I agree with you. Mookie Betts is a better player. And I've got a couple numbers here just to illustrate that point for anyone who's not on their baseball reference points right now. But Betts, at the time of the trade, had had six consecutive six-war seasons. And Lindor has done that only once. And Mookie is clearly the better hitter. He has a lifetime OPS of 134 at the time of the trade. And that's better than Lindor's career high. So I think that illustrates they're both great defenders. They're both you know, just great all-around players and ambassadors for the game. But to me, Mookie is the better player. So I think that if you're Cleveland, you start with that as the ask. But I think ultimately you have to be willing to come off of that. And you can't expect the Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs, and there was a third prospect, Connor Wong, I think was his name, who went to Boston in that trade. I just don't think that you can realistically and fairly expect to match that. Yeah, and so from a Blue Jays perspective... um, Look, like what's interesting about the Blue Jays' connection with Cleveland on this is that they explored this last offseason. And the Blue Jays and Cleveland talked Lindor last offseason. I, I believe the Blue Jays made an offer. And I think that people in the Blue Jays organization feel they actually made the best offer of anybody. Clearly, Cleveland didn't like any of the offers they got because they kept Francisco Lindor. But having gone down that road with Cleveland, the Blue Jays will know which of their prospects Cleveland's values, or at least which, not even 
necessarily prospects. Cleveland might want somebody off the big league roster. If it's a Lourdes Gurriel Jr., a Teoscar Hernandez, or an Alejandro Kirk, who's a, a big leaguer now. So the Blue Jays know who Cleveland values and which is what's most important in a trade. It's not necessarily like how you value your guys. What's more important is how the other guys value your players. So they've been down that road. So like that groundwork has kind of been laid. So the Blue Jays are going to have a pretty good idea of what it's going to take to get this done. And like, I, I guarantee you the Blue Jays kind of know today what offer they could make to like probably get it done today. Like they know who, who Cleveland would want. So they, they, they have a good sense. So the Blue Jays are, you know, operating from a bit of an advantage in that sense. And I just think that the position that Cleveland is in, like the Blue Jays can really play hardball here, not to mention the alternatives. You know, like you can wait till, like the Blue Jays aren't like 2021, this is our year to win the World Series. We're a Francisco Lindor away. This is going to push us over the top. We're going to leapfrog the Rays and the Yankees and we're going for it. Here we go. Right? So it's not like, necessarily absolutely imperative that the Blue Jays acquire Francisco Lindor, particularly considering the alternatives. It would be great. In any Francisco Lindor trade, Lindor is going to be the best player yeah. in that trade. <laughs> and you are acquiring the best player. You should always want to do that. The Blue Jays should always try to be opportunistic. But I think that my point is, you know, with the other alternatives, if you missed out on Lindor because you didn't want to pay that high price that you believe, you know, Cleveland's going to be asking, I really don't think that'll be the end of the world. No, I, I totally agree. And I think there are scenarios where the Blue Jays acquire Lindor and that's a great deal. You know, if they get him for, I don't know, if it's Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Santiago Espinal and a prospect that we barely heard of, okay, I think that probably would be fine. But if it's Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Jordan Groshans and Alec Manoa, no, like, yeah, no, shot. It's, no, it's just no too shot. much. Or if it's Bo Bichette, no, like, and no, I, I don't even think that's a, like, that's, talk radio, I don't think that's reality. But I, I think that you're totally right to say that there are different options for the Blue Jays here. Cleveland does a few of them too. They can trade them to the Mets or the Giants or the White Sox. But the Blue Jays have a lot more options here. And so they shouldn't be operating from a point of desperation. They can make an offer now, but it shouldn't even be their last and best offer at this point because they can go to free agency and sign George Springer, conceivably, or LeMahieu, conceivably. And if those guys are all off the market and in a month from now, the Jays are still looking for that high impact move, maybe they up their offer a little bit. But I don't think the time is now to go all in just because he's Francisco Lindor. And, and I know he's, I know he might end up in the Hall of Fame, but yeah. if you go all in for every Hall of Famer that becomes available, you're soon going to deplete your entire organization. Yeah, you have to take the long view. And you know, one option or one alternative that we don't even talk about that much is the international market. Hassan Kim, 25-year-old sure. right. Korean shortstop, right? He's going to be posted from the KBO. Great numbers in the KBO, and I understand that you know it's not the same level of competition as MLB, but hit a gang of homers over there. Huge on-base numbers. Uh, walked more than he struck out this season. And the biggest thing, young, 25 years old, like just entering his prime. Like You're not going to find that on the free agent market. And even with Lindor, you mentioned it, he turns 27 this weekend you know kim is two years younger so while there's an obvious jump in competition going to mlb and like you have to handicap his numbers and you can't just take his kbo numbers and like transfer them to america like obviously they would decrease it's also not impossible to see him continue to like improve like to foresee him continuing to develop and to get better with time considering 
his age and considering from all reports from people who have actually watched him play of which you know i am not i've just seen highlights like i haven't watched him closely but all reports suggest that like athletic quick twitch guy like i'll steal this line from tony lacava he swings like a blue jay like he's like big leg kick like yeah. explosive guy and a ton of positional versatility as well he could play short could play third could play second Look, if you're the Blue Jays, you are in position to pay that posting fee and to sign them to a deal in a way that maybe other clubs aren't. You know, the Blue Jays are, are advantaged there this offseason to sort of pony up and flex the pocketbook a little bit. And hey, you know, Hunchin Ryu can probably put in a good word. And uh, there you go. You've got your guys. So, like, that's another alternative beyond the many that we already spoke about earlier. That's another avenue the Blue Jays could take if, if a Lindor trade doesn't work out. Totally. And I mean, I reserve the right to be super excited about watching Francisco Lindor if he ends up in Toronto for the next five or seven (laughs) years, right? Like, he's a really fun player. He's fun to watch in Cleveland. If he ends up in Toronto, like, that'll make the Blue Jays way more entertaining. So I'm not... I'm not trying to talk people out of wanting Francisco Lindor. That's great. Like, he's he's an amazing player. But it's just to say that, you know, Trevor Story is someone who's really good too, and no one talks about him. Or, you know, maybe you don't spend that much on an infielder, but you end up with a George Springer. Or it's someone who has a breakout season. I mean, there's just a lot of ways to do this. And to get fixated on any one of them, and like you said, Arden, we're going to talk about this more, but to get fixated on any one of them, I don't know. I just, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be satisfying as a fan for fans listening. Or if you're a front office, I don't know if it's the best way to go. Yeah, so you, you know, say you you miss out on Francisco Lindor, and uh, oh no, now our starting shortstop is uh, Bo Bichette. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> like putting up like 900 OPSs, uh, you know, and and uh, has improved quite dramatically defensively at, at shortstop. Then is uh, you know, I don't even know if he's turning. 20, I guess he's 22 now. I don't know if he's turning 23 yet. Uh, he's 22. You know, yeah, 22, very early in his MLB career. Uh, you know, Blue Jays, as we said, in a pretty good position. Uh, after the break, let's let's take a look at how the Blue Jays might approach using that position to make their club better and some of the different avenues they can take this offseason. All that and so much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters, Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers, as always, are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Ben, in the coming weeks, I mean, you've already seen this, but I think especially in the coming weeks, you're going to see a lot of headlines floating around the internet that are crafted something along the lines of Blue Jays express interest in X. Blue Jays have checked in on Y. I think these things are all going to be true, <laughs> but how much do they matter and how much stock should we uh, you know, put into reports like these? Great question. I'm, and I'm glad that we're going to have the chance to kind of dive into this a little bit because I feel like to go a little meta here, I feel like this is like an under discussed aspect of how the baseball mechanism works. And you and Shai and I might remark to one another along these lines over the course of the off season, but it's kind of rare that we get the chance to dive into it in more of a public setting. So hopefully people are, are interested. But yeah, man, I mean, I spent, as, as probably a lot of our listeners know, maybe some don't, I spent like four and a half years writing at MLB Trade Rumors before I worked at Sportsnet. So I have written a lot of those Blue Jays interested in posts and headlines. And You're in the belly of the beast, buddy. You're exactly. a cog in the machine. A hundred percent. And I still am a cog in the machine, just in a different <laughs> different part of the machine, I guess, as we all are. But yeah, it means 
something very different depending on the situation. I think it means something different now than it did in 2008 when I was writing my first post at MLB Trade Rumors because Twitter didn't exist at that point in time. Like the whole hot stove is very different. But I think just as a starting point, and we'll get it, we can take this in a lot of different directions, but just as a starting point, you know this, but the Blue Jays express interest in all kinds of players. And so does every major league team. And I don't know that that was necessarily the case like 20 years ago, we'll say. I don't think teams were as systematic. And certainly, you know, 10 years ago, I don't know that it was as, as uniform that teams would just gather information across the board. They would not only gather that information, but document it. They would keep a record of it. They would have an internal system for recording and sharing that information, keeping it private, making sure that the right eyes are on it and only the right eyes are on it. That's obviously, I mean, every team has, has a system for that now. But again, 10 years ago, I don't know if that was the case. So I think there's this lingering sense that sometimes, oh my goodness, like the Blue Jays have interest in Jackie Bradley Jr. Wow, this is, this is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I'm not saying it's not interesting, but honestly, I would be more interested if the Blue Jays didn't have any interest at all in Jackie Bradley Jr. Like that would legitimately be more interesting to me. So I'm not saying it's wrong. In fact, we know it's right. They had some interest in Jackie Bradley Jr. last offseason. They asked about him when he was a trade ship for the Red Sox. So, I mean, this is a player who fits on paper. They've had interest in the past. I am sure that they have had some sort of conversation with Scott Boris, who represents Jackie Bradley Jr., among many other players, and Bradley's name would have come up. But to read much into that is, you know, you're doing yourself, I think, a, a disservice. Yeah, I would reckon that the Blue Jays have had a conversation with the agent of every available free agent starting pitcher, save for Marcus Stroman, <laughs> right. who is actually no longer available because he accepted right. a qualifying offer. Right. But uh, you know, everybody who is on the market starting pitching wise, I would very like strongly bet that the Blue Jays have called the agents for every single one of those players because that is due diligence and that is their job. The Blue Jays need to acquire as much information about this free agent market as possible in order to know how to optimally approach it. So, you know, if you hear something like Blue Jays have checked in on so-and-so or Blue Jays have made a call about so-and-so, like, yeah, that's the case for every player on the market. Like you said, it's way more notable if the Blue Jays haven't called yeah. about somebody. Uh, and, you know, look, like Strowman's like an obvious example, right? Like obviously an acrimonious exit there. Like I just don't think that there was ever going to be a reunion even if Strowman hadn't uh, accepted the qualifying offer. And look, he's Marcus Strowman is somebody who just like taken as a pitcher would help this team. This is a team that's looking for starting pitching help. And Marcus Strowman is a very good starting pitcher. But for all the reasons that we know, that was never going to happen. So I would bet that's the only guy that like actually wasn't called so far this offseason. Totally. And, and here's for, for people who, who might not be aware, like how a lot of these preliminary meetings go is, and this would typically take place in person at the GM meetings um, in a lot of cases, but you'd have the big agencies there. So you'd have Wasserman or Excel or CAA. Uh, Boris obviously would be there. And of course, some of the smaller agencies too. But you'd have these big agencies who every single year they have two or three pretty prominent free agents. And they have some other free agents who are maybe not as prominent. And what would happen is the GM and one or two of the GM's assistants would meet with the main agent uh, representing those clients and often some other agents. So you'd have this group where it's you know maybe a three-on-three -three setting and you're having these general conversations like, 
you know, I'm making this up here just to be really clear, but DJ LeMahieu would like to have a, you know, four-year contract and he's interested in an opt-out and, you know, he's, he's someone who'd prefer to stay on the East Coast. Again, totally making that up. But those would be the general parameters. And the team would say, look, we love him. We want to stay in touch. And that's it. That's the initial expression of interest that happens. And then things progress from there. And, and usually, and, and maybe especially so this offseason, usually it's a pretty slow burn. It's not that initial meeting and there's an exchange of offers right away. There are exceptions to that, obviously, and Robbie Ray would be one of them. But more often than not, it's a slow burn. It's an initial expression, and you kind of go from there. Yeah, because you need to acquire as much information as possible. Because like the last thing you want is for you know DJ LeMahieu to sign with somebody for an amount that you would have easily beaten or you know ponied up yourself, you know, and, and for him to then come out afterwards and be like, yeah, I would have gone to Toronto. Sure, why not? You don't want Trevor Story to get traded for you know a package of players that you could have easily beat and you don't want to like see that pop up on trade rumors and be like oh damn it and of course this would never happen to you know the blue jays because they check in on everybody but that's just part of their job as part of their due diligence is to have those conversations and to acquire that information and then to record that information and then like even over years and years of time like go back to that information and kind of especially in trade talks like recording your trade discussions with teams and kind of understanding how other teams value your own players can be really, really important to future trade discussions and trade negotiations. That's why you record all that and, and you just have this like database of information you can rely back on. hundred percent. Our own memories are so unreliable. And, and like even just as a kind of personal example, if I were just to rely on my own memory of what the Blue Jays were trying to do even like two off seasons ago, I could do it like it would take some effort, but I wouldn't remember the details. I wouldn't remember the timing of it. And so I, you know, I take notes. I'm sure you do too, just in the course of an off season, in the course of a season, I have Google Docs that I refer back to from time to time. Now those are nowhere near the sophistication that major league teams have, right? Like they have full on systems for this, not just a, a collection of Google Docs that they search, you know, for the name Donaldson or Anthopolis or whatever the case. So that's part of it. But, you know, what's interesting, too, is when you think about what's out there publicly and what's not, so much of this is selective. And some players, I'm sure we can all think of them, um, or, you know, let's, let's choose an example that's, that's recent. We see right now Matt Shoemaker, Royals interested, Rangers interested, Red Sox interested. Okay, so that's, that's happening somehow. Some, somehow this baseball news mechanism is leading that information to end up on MLB trade rumors and Sportsnet. Okay. Now, in contrast to that, have you seen any DJ LeMahieu rumors like at all? Like I personally haven't really seen much. Now, I am not going to assume, and, and I know, you know, sometimes even teams can be fooled by this. And this is, you know, agents have told me that even teams can mistake a lack of public reporting on things for a, a lack of movement or a lack of interest. That is a dangerous assumption to make. I'm assuming that behind the scenes teams are very interested in DJ LeMahieu and that there is you know, serious interest from a lot of teams, but I haven't seen that headline that says seven teams expressing strong interest in free agent LeMahieu. Yeah, because why wouldn't they? And any, you know, great hitter, plays a bunch of positions, you know, for, by all accounts, like strong in the clubhouse. Um, so, of course, teams are interested in him. And I think those teams that are interested in him would have called his 
agent and said, you know, if you're, you're from you know, the Mets or whoever, and be like, hey, would he be interested in coming to our franchise? Like, that's the thing with free agents. There's, you know, a lot of guys will just have teams that they just eliminate. They're just like, I did I, either, I don't want to play for them because of, you know, what I've heard about how they treat their players, how their organizations run. I don't want to go to that city. <laughs> that's like, it could be as simple as that. My spouse doesn't want to go to that city. My kids don't want to live there. Like, it could be as like simple as that. Like, or that country in, yeah. in one case. Right. So like we kind of forget about how like players, families um, actually have a lot of input in this because look, they're choosing a place to work and to live. So, you know, for, from the Blue Jays perspective, they will have called everybody and kind of found out, you know, w- would you come to Toronto? Okay, great. What are you expecting in terms of term? I'm talking about free agents here in terms of term and in, in terms of money. Like, like you said, would you think about opt outs? Like what type, you know, would you think about incentives? Like, you know, what are you looking for? What are your expectations? And they take that information back and they sort of add it to their like big board of alternatives. Like, I don't know if there's an actual like physical big board, like it's probably like a database actually, like on a computer, but that is the way the Blue Jays sort of approach it. And it gets back to another misnomer that you hear around this time of year is like, who is the Blue Jays big target? Yeah. Like, who is their must get? Yeah. Like, who are they really going to, it's nobody. There's, yeah. there's nobody that they have to acquire. The Blue Jays look at the entire market as a totality, free agents, trade, international players, and you can even include like their own internal players in the organization as alternatives. Or like Santiago Espinal is an alternative as a utility bench infielder. You can just go with him. Internally, you already have him. Or you can go out and like sign your Joe Panic or Eric Sogard or whatever, right? Like, so you you size up the market and you get a sense of you know who's available and who you could actually acquire, and then you attach a value to each of those players, each of those athletes, and you say, all right, this is what we would pay for this guy in free agency. Like, this is the type of contract we would award to him, or in trade, like this is the type of acquisition cost that we would pay in order to acquire this player and like this is how we project that player's production over the coming seasons and this is how we project their health and this is how we think they would fit into our roster and then you just kind of try to piece together that puzzle in a way that maximizes your value right because you like you only have a finite number of roster spots and and a finite amount of playing time and a finite payroll so you want to maximize the amount of value wins essentially that you can get from those finite resources and there's a lot of different ways to piece together that puzzle and you're just trying to do that optimally so it's it's never the case where it's like we have to get LeMahieu there are many other options and avenues that the Blue Jays can go depending on what opportunities are available to them totally like that all in you know this guy or bust mentality like it's a it doesn't exist at least within the Toronto front office certainly within other reasonable front offices across baseball if you say we have to get this or else it's just you're closing yourself off too much and so i i totally agree with what you're saying there and you know i kind of i'll break out my grocery shopping analogy here because i think it i think it does make a at least no, a, a little good, bit of sense it's a good one it's a good one. okay so you know if i'm going to the grocery store a lot of the time i'll say all right i need to buy cherry tomatoes like i'm getting cherry tomatoes that's it i'm not leaving the grocery store without them i don't care if they're 2.99 or 3.99 if they were 25.99 i probably wouldn't get them but basically i'm going to get cherry tomatoes and that's just not the way the toronto blue jays would operate like in their case they are going to 
go to the grocery store. They're going to check the price on every item. They're going to send, you know, Ross Atkins down one aisle and Joe Sheehan down one aisle. And they're all going to come back and say, all right, like we've got the prices on all the items in the grocery store. They're going to compare them within their own system. They're going to say, all right, these are the, these are the deals that are really good. These are the flavors that are going to be really good for Charlie Montoyo to work with. And let's come up with the best values. And so they are not going in there saying that we need to end up with, you know, snap peas or with rice or whatever the case. They're saying we need to find the best value that will create a collection of really good food and ingredients that we can then use to make these delicious meals. But it is not saying that we need to buy cherry tomatoes to the exclusion of every other deal or opportunity. No, they're trying to make the best meal possible, right? And if you go into the grocery store and you're like, we are making tilapia, we're absolutely making tilapia and you have a hundred dollars to spend and tilapia is going to cost you like $65, like that cuts you off from the sides that you can serve with your tilapia. But hey, maybe salmon is only like $35. All of a sudden you have way more opportunity to buy more vegetables and more grains to serve on the plate and more seasonings and spices to make your meal better. So if you go to the grocery store and you come home with only um, like, hey, this is a, <laughs> I love this analogy. <laughs> if you come home with only like tilapia and like three other vegetables, well, say the tilapia goes bad, right? Like right. you don't know. Which man. happens. Like, it happens. You know what I mean? Like the tilapia looked good at the store, but then you got home and then you found out like, oh, actually like, you know, this tilapia came from like a factory farm and was, you know, harvested like a long time ago. And it just goes bad like that. Like, oh, geez, I spent $65 on this tilapia that went bad. And now all I have are these three other sides. If you actually spread your money around a lot more proportionately and actually come home with, all right, I've got tilapia, but like I've also, uh, you know, I've got this, uh, you know, I've got this shrimp as, as the backup here. And maybe that'll just be an appetizer in my meal, but maybe that will actually become the meal if the tilapia goes bad. And also because I didn't spend, you know, so much money on, uh, you know, uh, on this one big ticket item, I've, I actually was able to afford to get potatoes and green beans and broccoli and asparagus, a bunch of other stuff. Like you just like you have a lot more fallback plans to still make a really good meal. You don't lock yourself into just like having to make tilapia. <laughs> totally. <laughs> to say nothing, and this is taking it probably way too far, but to say nothing of this the cannot go this analogy cannot go too far. Okay. The, the seeds that you're buying and then you're you're putting those out in the garden and telling Gil Kim and Joe Sclafani and the rest of the player development team, like, all right, like we need these seeds to come up so we don't actually have to be shopping in the luxury section of the grocery store every day or every week. We want to have, to grow our own and we want to have this homegrown talent supplement whatever we're buying at the grocery store. So, I mean, that's, I don't, we might have nope. lost some people along nope. the way there, but, I, but honestly... Everybody eats, man. Everybody <laughs> eats. <laughs> yeah. And you need food on the table in the Blue Jays case every year, every season. And so that means you have to do a lot of shopping. And in their case, the point I'm trying to make here is just that, you know, they're looking for value and they're looking for, and these are buzzwords, but if you, you know, there is actual behaviors that go along with it. They're not getting fixated on one individual position or individual. It's, hey, what's the best deal to make this team better? 
it, it is behavioral though because you're taking the emotion out of it right and like you're taking the subjective out of it and you're you know you're, you're just, there's no value placed on name recognition or on uh making a big splash or winning the off season like it really in a lot of ways is like it's you know it's kind of cold hard calculus right but yep. like you're, you're just trying to build the best roster with the opportunities that you're provided and you're, you know, you're trying to get, uh, you know, I like the ideal is surplus value, right? Like the ideal is like, you know, and, and who knows what a win costs anymore. Like I know we've, you know, forever we've kind of worked on, you know, something in the range of like, you know, eight to 10 million. I don't know. It might be less case. this year. Right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, I don't, like I, I don't know where it falls this year. Um, but you know, you want to get to the point where like early in the season, your players are providing surplus value in terms of the wins that they're giving you above the level of replacement player for what you are paying them. Um, and so that, like, that's what you're trying to find. Cause that's, you know, that's how, like, look at how the Rays do it, right? Like look at how many wins the Rays get out of like a pretty, pretty meager payroll. Um, you know, so I, I like all these things factor in to how the Blue Jays kind of piece together this puzzle. And I think that, this is also a reason why we will likely see a bit of a slower burn this off season. Like you were saying, like, I don't think that you're going to see anything too big and splashy in you know, the, the next two to three weeks. Um, I could be wrong. I kind of look at that December 2nd date when the, uh, you know, when, when players arbitration eligible players have to be tendered contracts as like kind of an interesting tipping point in this off season. Cause there could be a flood of players hit the market at that point who um, you know, you, you aren't expecting to be there right now. So even our snapshot and our view of the market right now could change drastically if cash strapped franchises and they they aren't cash strapped. Like they have money, but teams that aren't willing to spend that money right now on payroll don't end up tendering some of their arbitration eligible guys. And you get this flood of like 28 to 32 year olds hitting the market. All of a sudden you've got more alternatives, more opportunities and, and the market changes. So like, I do think this is going to be a bit of a, a slow to play out, off season, and I think the Blue Jays are going to be kind of walking up and down the aisles of the grocery store for quite a while this off season before you see them actually get to the register. Totally, I think that's true, and I think you know other teams are likely, you know, to in some cases like they haven't even got to the grocery store, right? Like the Mets yeah. and Sandy Alderson, by the way, was using a variation of this when he was saying the Mets are now going to be shopping in the luxury section of the grocery store, but they They're don't go to Whole Foods now. Right. And they don't, yeah. but the Mets don't even have a GM and the Angels don't even have a GM. So, exactly as that impacts Cleveland and trade talks, if I'm an agent right now, I don't necessarily want to close my client off from the Mets, which really could be a big spender, or the Angels, which historically have been pretty aggressive in free agency. And so, until those GM situations have been resolved, I think the entire industry will probably be moving a little bit slower. Well, I'm hungry now, Ben. It's about lunchtime. So <laughs> let's, let's step away uh, and let's go get ourselves some of the... We'll be back, um, I don't know, in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, if Blue Jays do something uh, you know, big in the meantime, maybe we'll be back even sooner. But we're going to be here throughout the offseason recapping what's happening, recapping what comes out of the GM meetings, which are uh, this week virtually. The winter meetings also going to be held virtually. That's going to be in, in a few weeks. And, and look, the, the rumor mill is going to keep spinning. And uh, look, if I know one thing, it's that if you 
you attach the Toronto Blue Jays to a headline or to a rumor article, the clicks follow in a rather right. uh, voluminous way. So uh, I think you're going to see the Blue Jays name, uh, you know, bandied about quite a bit here in, in hot stove season. Well, that's it for us. Uh, he's Ben Nixon Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. We'll talk to you next time on At The Letters. Thank you.